This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day. This is Ken Forster with Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. And today it's my great pleasure to introduce Christina Peterson. Christina is CEO of cleantech financial advisory firm Mayflower Partners. Ms. Peterson has led various solar energy investment companies serving in senior investment, development, operations, and asset management roles at companies like Brookfield Renewable Partners and Terraform Power and serving as CEO, CFO, and other senior management roles at EDF Renewable Energy, uh, SunTech, and Greenwood Energy. Ms. Peterson brings over 25 years of executive leadership experience in energy, investment finance, and banking organizations of various sizes and types in different growth stages and with wide-ranging international uh, corporate cultures, business models, and leadership styles. Uh, Christina, this is uh, one a real pleasure because you've had the opportunity to see this uh, renewable energy digital industry, if I if I shall say, uh, uh, from many different perspectives as an operator, as an advisor, as a financier. And so, first of all, welcome to the Momenta uh, Digital Leader Series, and thank you for taking the the uh, the time and agreeing to do this. I guess first question for me is: tell me a little bit about your professional journey and how it has informed your view of digital energy. Well, thank you very much, Ken. I appreciate being invited and uh, and really appreciate all the support from Momenta Partners. Um, I, I would say that, you know, when I started in the banking industry um, with Citibank a long time ago, you know, it was a totally different time. You know, we were doing coal-fired power plants, you um, uh, nuclear was still very big and a lot of new nukes being built. Um, and, you know, gas hadn't really come into its own. And what we're seeing is a real shift in the, in the power generation mix globally. Um, and, and, you know, watching that, um, change has been fascinating. And, and I think the whole topic of climate change, of course, has informed um, how investments are being done um, now uh, compared to, you know, when I started. So um, I think starting in banking, you know, I had financed every kind of power project but solar. Um, and back then it was very, very expensive, um, you know, above uh, I think probably above $20 a watt uh, DC installed for, for solar PV. And, you know, today you're seeing, you know, solar panels available for uh, 20, 25 cents uh, per watt DC installed. So it's, 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 that change has happened within the last 25 years. And that's an incredibly, uh, you know, momentous change for the industry. So, um, so I think coming from banking and having finance conventional power is a good background for going into the renewable space because you can make the comparisons when you're, you know, meeting with investors or investment committees uh, as to what's the same and what's different. And what are the advantages and what are the disadvantages? So I, I've I've enjoyed that part of um, 
of the of the shift to renewables. And, you know, I, I think solar started to make sense uh, about to like the early 2000s and I was watching the pricing coming down on solar panels. First of all, you couldn't buy them because there wasn't much, you know, manufacturing capability. And second of all, it was really expensive. And then I started seeing it go from like, you know, from that $20 a watt to $10 a watt. I'm like, oh, that's half price. And then I started seeing it drop to like $4 a watt in 2007. And, and I thought, wow, this is starting to get interesting because, you know, it has uh, no fuel price risk and no fuel availability risk. And so, you know, that's the great thing about renewables. It's, you know, especially for solar, you're generating uh, where you need the power and you don't have any fuel uh, delivery risk. Whereas, you know, with a gas pipeline or a gas-fired power plant, of course, you're, you are dependent on other kinds of infrastructure. So this is kind of standalone and where you need it. So it's really been fun uh, to be part of this uh, change. Um, I think that the, the companies that I've been involved with have been at the forefront of some of these changes. I mean, if you look at EDF, they were some of the earliest investors in solar and previous prior to that in wind, um, you know, EDF started investing in uh, the Palm Springs area in um, in California back when no one had even built any wind projects in the U.S. and that was 25, 30 years ago. Uh, and now they're, of course, one of the biggest owner operators. And they were also very early in solar, both in Europe and other countries and in the States. Um, SunTech, you know, was a company that had never even been um, in existence prior to 2001. And, you know, within seven years, they were a $16 billion market cap company because, you know, we had polysilicon when nobody else did. Um, and there was tremendous demand for the projects uh, and for the for the products that we had. Uh, you know, I miss the good old days when we used to be able to charge uh, deposits, large deposits for even taking an order and then telling our customers, oh, we'll deliver it when we feel like it, maybe 18 months from now, you know. So it's really changed um, the whole, you know, uh, supply uh, chain and so forth for solar has changed and the whole, you know, uh, investment landscape. It's become a a, a mainstream um, industry. So, um, uh, so you know, that's kind of been my, you know, coming from conventional, from banking of all kinds of power projects to switching over to conventional, uh, from conventional to, to renewables. And then what I'm seeing is that, you know, solar is clearly now an, an accepted asset class and that the the industry has become very large, and indeed, um, solar last uh, at the end of 2019 accounted for the largest portion of um, of uh, you know in new new power generation construction in the United States, and indeed, that's expected to go from. Uh, two percent of total power generation today in the world to 22 percent by 2050. So if you think about that, in 30 years, it's going to grow 11 times bigger than it is today. If you believe the you know the um, the forecasts, which which I think are probably maybe even a little bit conservative. So it's going to be uh, even bigger than it is. So uh, does that answer your question, there, Ken? 
Yeah, very much so. Thank you. And and, and given this rich background that you've had, um, tell me a bit about Mayflower Partners and how you're culminating a lot of those perspectives into the work you're doing now. So I I advise a couple of funds uh, who are investing in uh, mid to early stage um, uh, clean tech companies uh, and also advise some uh, institutional investors and funds um, on their uh, in, uh, principal investments and also um, buy and sell side for project level uh, investments. So Mayflower is my firm. Uh, I've been doing advisory work and uh, board work through that company for quite some time. And um, I've worked primarily in the solar PV space, but also do work with waste to energy uh, investments and um, other types of kind of direct investments in early stage technology companies. So I have quite a few companies that come to me all the time looking for me to help them raise capital. Um, and I think that, you know, having that broad background from a power perspective um, helps them uh, get in front of the right kind of investors and also uh, gets them a better deal when it comes time to, um, to sell or to buy. So, um, you know, I think my, my contacts are global. And so I think Mayflower Partners, uh, you find a lot of advisors, but they're really just focused on the U.S. market or whatever. And, you know, um, I, I would say I have a pretty broad uh, international uh, network of people that are in the energy space. And, uh, and even just this morning, I had a, a, a client coming to me for specific uh, guidance on solar in Brazil. And I, I know where to go to for them for, you know, the right kind of uh, uh, investment uh, advice. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think Mayflower has been um, uh, a, a good, uh, it, it's a way for me to help my customers, uh, you know, uh, raise capital um, in the in the best way possible, and I work with other advisory companies as well. Um, that you know, I, when when necessary. So, you know, what's interesting is we've been following this area of digital energy for some time. Uh, one of the four sectors Momenta looks at: energy, manufacturing, smart spaces, and supply chain. You may know that we featured Tony Seba on our first of this whole podcast series on digital leadership, and we took some of the the concepts Tony talked about about the decentralization of you know conventional energy, if you will, um, uh, at least it, conventional energy generation, distribution, etc., and and the, to look at the decentralization of it as a pattern of disruption for other industries as well, including how we think manufacturing will, will end up going as well. So, you know, energy has been going through quite a transformation, and at least in California, you could say disruption as well. What are some of the key trends you are seeing relative to energy generation, distribution, and demand? And I know you covered a few mo a few moments ago, but generally across the whole grid when you think about, you know, the, the, the full end-to-end. -end. Mm -hmm. I, I think it really is going through a massive change. Um, and I think that, you know, the simplest thing to think about is um, just in general, there will be less and less massive investment in transmission technology because, um, you know, like I said, the thing that makes solar special is that, you know, you're generating 
where you need the power. Um, it doesn't need to be, uh, you know, it can be on your roof. It could be on the roof of a Costco uh, or any other big box store. And you're not, you don't need, you're generating where you actually need the power. So I think there will be a lot less transmission investments. I think when you see what's happening with the California invest, investor-owned utilities like PG&E, um, you know, they've gotten into a lot of trouble because they have not made the investments in keeping the transmission lines from, you know, that have been necessary in the past where you're generating power at a central location and then shipping it to wherever you need it. That's dangerous over, you know, dry, dry, um, you know, long distances with dry brush and so forth. And PG&E could very well um, end up being um, taken over and broken up. That's that's what my contacts have said. So if that ends up happening, um, that has massive in implications for other investor-owned utilities. Um, and I think, you know, California has been at the forefront of encouraging investment in energy storage, you know, doing RFPs for energy storage. They, they're really, you know, trying out different things, seeing what works, seeing how things can be financed in innovative ways. Um, and I think uh, so it's both it's both generation generation, ownership of generation, uh, distribution, uh, definitely. Um, and then on the demand side, you know, you're seeing um, customers fighting back against demand charges, right? Why, why should they pay these huge demand charges to the utility when they can peak shave by putting solar um uh, rooftop solar on their buildings and always, you know, just dispatching their own, uh, their own generation to their own storage facility and not having to, and avoiding, you know, uh, peak uh, demand charges. So I think customers are adjusting to whatever new tariffs are getting thrown at them and you're seeing a lot of changes there. And, and, you know, that, back to your question on digital energy. I mean, you know, we're really changing not just from centralized power generation to distributed, but also from 24 seven baseload always on centralized power generation to intermittent renewable generation, right? So at least with solar, you know, when the sun comes up in the morning and you know, when it goes down at night with wind, it's a little less predictable in terms of when you're going to get high production. Um, but solar is good that way, because even for things like working with um, software companies that have to do updates on their, on their um, uh, predictive uh, analytics and their, you know, software um, uh, databases, they can. They know the solar is going to be off at night, <laughs> so they can actually do things and 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 plan it overnight. Whereas with wind, it's kind of a twenty-four. You know, you don't know when it's gonna when the power is going to be generated. But uh, it really makes a big difference. I, I think when you have these intermittent uh, resources, the whole concept of maximizing and optimizing production is very important um, and actually being able to predict what power demand is going to be and how you probably going to be able to meet that the next day. That's the, the new frontier for us um, in terms of 
like actually being able to make the right bets and actually make money uh, in those markets. And, you know, it's not like it's something new under the sun, but people haven't actually done it as much with renewables because the whole space is relatively, you know, I mean, for solar, the industry is about effectively 13 years old in, in the United States and in, in for wind, maybe 25 to 30 years old. So it's not like it's been around for a long, long time. So um, did you, did that answer your question really in terms yeah. of that shift? It did. You know, it's interesting um, when you look at the shift from conventional to renewable uh, energy. In some sense, uh, it's it's chicken and the egg. The the move to renewable has helped bring more digital patterns in case, but more digital technology in some case has also reinforced the move to renewables. Decentralization, as an example, right? Uh, in that case, um, you know, I, I guess some thoughts relative to which which one is driving the other in your mind. Huh. I think. Um I think power, now that we have all of this additional intermittent generation, I think now people are saying, well, let's be smarter about using it. I don't think, I don't think, I think it's the generation that's driving the optimization rather than people saying, oh, well, I know how to optimize it perfectly. Let's apply it to this new technology. So um, I think that we're, as an industry, we're growing in terms of understanding what works, what doesn't work, um, how to figure out day ahead markets, um, how to hedge uh, with those uh, appropriately, and how to use how to use that intermittency in our favor rather than thinking, oh, that's a negative because uh, we get too much sun. You know, as you as you all know, the the California duck curve that people talk about. You know, when when solar started in California in a big way, utility scale solar, there wasn't there was no duck curve. But now, you know, there's just a huge amount of influx of um, solar generation as a portion of the total production in the middle of the day, in the middle of the summer. And they, you know, it, it ends up um, for people who, you know, didn't uh, set up their PPAs the way that they might have liked to, they, they're curtailed. And so you have to consider curtailment, production, uh, the market, um, the market requirements, and also how to optimize all of those and make the most money. So it's using data to, um, you know, the world is awash in data right now. And the whole idea is to figure out how to make more money and how to save money. And um, I think that that's where, you know, the predictive analytics of digital energy um, really end up making you uh, a smart operator or a dumb operator. And I think that the existing utilities have been the only game in town. And now we're seeing that, you know, independent private power producers are actually making those investments and maybe becoming a little more sophisticated even than some of the investor-owned utilities or munis or, you know, co-ops that, uh, that they're selling to. And that's how you make outsized returns. Um, and then, you know, back to saving money, what I'm seeing is also that insurance companies are saying, well, wait a minute, you know, how do I insure myself against... Um, claims risk. Um, and they're getting more uh, inventive in the way that they get into um, uh, risks that they're insuring in the market, not just like property casualty, but actually production and uh, revenue uh, 
uh, we're seeing some insurance companies, you know, basically in the revenue, solar revenue put market where, you know, they, they're banking that, you know, a certain project will make a certain amount of production. And if it doesn't, they have to pay. So, um, you know, with that kind of thing, you really have to understand where to make your bet and uh, understand how much production that you can actually say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bet that it will be definitely be able to beat or meet or beat that particular level of production. So it's really interesting. I think that we're seeing companies, um, you know, start to optimize the, the, the assets that they have by running them better by, you know, doing some data mining of the analytics that they actually can, that of, of the data that they have on the projects and being able to understand, hmm, you know, I can, if I did this or that in terms of my OPEX and CAPEX budget, perhaps I can, you know, drive higher revenue and the utilities, um, you know, uh, are sending signals to us, I think that they they could be even better in terms of saying this is what we want or need. Um, I think California is kind of at the forefront of, of signaling to, you know, independent operators what, what they're wanting, but it's still not, um, I, you know, I don't think we have completely exhausted all the potential optimization um, uh, venue, uh, channels, basically, for for improving you know, and using solar production uh, in the on the grid. So, and a lot of new projects are coming on. So, you know, like like I said, it was like thirty nine percent of all the power generation under construction in the United States last year was uh, solar. Um, so it's it's still it's big, and there's a lot of utilities that don't even have as a percentage, a very large portion of their power generation coming from solar. So they're having to learn how to use it better with, you know, what is it, can they avoid turning on that gas-fired peaking plant that costs a lot of money? You know, they start making those decisions and, and in, their, in their ERP planning, and they end up saying, hmm, you know, this stuff is pretty good. Um, and they know, you know, at least with solar, you know, the sun isn't shining at night. You, you, you know, it's quite, it's relatively predictable in terms of power generation. Um, less so on a, in a cloudy climate or a coastal climate, more so, you know, like in, in beautiful, you know, desert Southwest of the United States, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty predictable, but in certain places, there's a little bit more of a, um, yeah, a little bit more of an unknown. And also you get, you know, storms, um, hurricanes, et cetera, and you need to, you know, uh, stow trackers or things like that, and you end up actually getting a bit less production. But other than that, you know, I think the whole idea of using weather data uh, is only just starting, really, um, in terms of like embedding that in the in the predictive analytics of your production, like understanding how weather is going to change uh, your your generation. Um, and, and being able to use that to make more money, that companies are still, we're still at the beginning of that. You know, there are weather data companies and then there's software companies that do predictive analytics or, or monitoring and controls and SCADA. And in reality, you know, bringing that together, the weather data, the operating monitoring controls software, and all financial and general ledger software they're all three of them are separate right now. And what we're seeing is that 
people who are who you know the future is being able to actually bring that data into your um, accounting system so that you can actually you know use it in a better way so that it's not always just kind of every once a month or whenever it is that people do their operating planning they're pulling it together and then they're saying oh you know I could have I could have if I had noticed these patterns I could have made more money in terms of making bets selling to um, suit to utilities um, you know we're seeing more merchant uh, more merchant risk uh, in the market that you know people are building solar um, you know, with a, a project that's like a mer what we call a merchant nose, meaning, you know, one or two years up front, it's they're selling merchant and then they've got a power purchase agreement or some other type of a, a revenue contract later and then the rest of it. And then there's a merchant tail. And so somehow you got to model what's the production going to be from those from those things. And and, um, you know, in certain markets like ERCOT, you know, it's very clear uh, you know, what the, they're, they're buying by the five minute increment. Right. And so, uh, if you're a smart power trader and a smart owner operator, you could potentially end up getting outsized returns, uh, by understanding, you know, weather and, um, congestion and curtailment and, you know, what the demand is in a particular location. And so, uh, I think that that, that's, that's very exciting. We're not there yet as an industry completely, but I think all the software companies that are providing products to the energy industry, you know, that would be my my hope and dream is that, you know, the financial software is integrated with the predictive analytics software, which is integrated with the um, control systems and monitoring systems, and that everything is uh as accurate as possible. Um, we all know that these sensors, pyranometers, when in the case of solar, you know, which which basically uh, tell you how much sun you're getting at a particular location, and then you get a certain, you know, a smaller subset of that. Um, you know, wouldn't it be great if all of that worked perfectly all the time? And the grid was always on and there were no snowstorms and no windstorms and no hurricanes where you have to turn things off, you know, yeah. <laughs> but that's not the way it works in the real world. But um, to be able to predict those kind of events and actually work around them and make more money off of them. That's that's uh, we're getting there, I think, as owner operators. So, yeah, well, as you know, we helped the large wind turbine generation company acquire their analytics capability. And I think you've made an absolutely beautiful case for really what was the acquisition thesis that went into that uh, mm -hmm. and where some of the opportunities sit with that as uh, as well. Let me ask, where do you see most of the innovation coming from these days in the energy sector? Mm -hmm. uh, well, for the moment, I'm going to talk about the investment side because I think the innovation right now is, um, you know, pe people were afraid when they first started investing in solar. Oh, is it going to work? Are these solar panels going to blow off in the wind? Is the tracker going to, you know, break? Um, and now it's become, you know, an accepted asset class, uh, very, you know, easy to fund. You know, you're seeing relatively low returns on the debt side for conventional operating projects. You know, lenders are lending, you know, three, four percent, um, you know, for 
uh, 25 years, you know, they feel very comfortable with that. Well, that wasn't the case even 13 years ago, you know, that people really didn't know what they were signing up for and prices were a lot higher. So the innovation is coming from what about building PV plus storage, storage of all different types, whether you're talking about flow batteries or lithium ion or other types of um, battery technologies or storage technologies, including pumps, pump storage, hydro, et cetera. Um, for the stuff that's newer, meaning like flow batteries or lithium ion, we're still seeing um, the only folks that are investing in that is really on either big utilities that have um, big balance sheets and are and are investing in the storage technologies on their own balance sheet or preferred equity investors that are are charging relatively higher returns because there's that technology risk it hasn't become there's no clear front front runner in terms of you know these are the investors uh, these are the types of technologies that people are investing in that they know they're gonna uh, make a you know, a, a high return. So it's it's more the preferred equity side. Um, and flow batteries, you know, I think the consensus is that it's probably going to be about 10% of the global um, storage market for batteries. And 90% is still, you know, supposedly um, going to be through lithium ion, et cetera. I think that those um, there's going to be investors that like one versus the other, and they like a certain kind of use case versus another. And at the end of the day, people with um, big balance sheets and a large amount of capital to um, provide guarantees uh, are going to be the ones that are the earlier investors. But as time goes on and people start to see that, you know, the technology works, et cetera, I think the prices will start coming down. The innovation will be that you're going to have more debt providers moving into that space uh, and doing longer term and accepting lower returns than, um, than, you know, what we have now where it's kind of people are still not comfortable to say, you know, I'm going to invest in you know, X type of flow battery for 10 years, and I know it's going to work and, um, you know, it will work for this particular use case. And that's what we expect, you know, and that is indeed what happened. Um, so I think the innovation on the finance side is is kind of interesting. I think you're seeing more um, uh, innovative financing structures in terms of, um, you know, merchant offtake, uh, financial and production hedging. You're seeing, you know, companies that are insurance companies, big institutional investors that will do, you know, different kinds of merchant hedges that, you know, um, that wasn't even, you know, for, for solar farms, that wasn't even considered 13 years ago or 14 years ago. Um, and, uh, and also I think the operational technology standards today, meaning, you know, literally the the SCADA and the control systems. Uh, you know, managing all of these sensors on 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 solar farms and so forth. Those operating technology standards are evolving. Uh, we're still working with. It's still a cottage industry, I think, for a lot of these um, types of technology for the meters, for the pyranometers, and the. Um, and, you know, all the different data systems that we we collect the data from the various projects, it's still beginning uh, in its early days. And, um, 
you know, I think making them more robust, making them more hardened so that, you know, things work in bad climactic conditions and, uh, and, and really just transmission of data even. It, it, it's crazy. It's, you know, having, uh, you know, Wi-Fi modems, you know, uh, when that goes down, you don't get that data from that particular project. It's a, it's a, um, it's a problem, uh, you know, and then you have to try and backfill that data, but that's not the actual, you know, accurate production. And so I think, you know, the whole, there's no standards yet um, for the industry and, and solar in, its, in and of itself is modular. It's quite different, I think, from wind in that, you know, with wind, you've got one big turbine with many different parts to it. But generally speaking, that turbine is built by a creditworthy company that, you know, can stand behind uh, all the pieces of that um, piece of equipment. And with solar, it's a modular, it's totally modular, you know, inverters are made by certain companies and, you know, um, solar panels are made by others and trackers are made by others. And, you know, there's no, there isn't a big appetite to wrap that whole thing and guarantee production um, by any single large creditworthy entities. And so, um, you know, owner operators are definitely trying to get that kind of a production guarantee where there's a full wrap on, a, you know, a pool of assets and so forth. Um, but I think the, the jury is still out as to whether or not the folks that are offering those are actually going to be uh, making money or losing money on that. Uh, because again, it's such a, it's a hodgepodge of different types of equipment and, mm -hmm. um, and not big, companies so yeah well look along the same lines we've invested via momenta ventures in several companies in the clean tech space including ones you know like jelly and uh, and freewire beyond these which startups do you see as the ones to watch in this space um specifically i, I i'm going to be a little bit broader i i think um you know not just software, but um, kind of hardware plus software together. I think that the combination of distributed generation of all different types, not just solar, um, not just wind, but DG, um, where, the, where the production is on site, where it's gonna be uh, used, plus electric vehicle charging, plus the software to control those systems, um, you know, in the past, it's always been the utility buying power from a big, uh, you know, solar farm or, um, or, or as I said before, a client, you know, putting solar on their roof with some battery storage to avoid a peak demand charge. Um, I think the future is going to be where it's much more transactive energy, where you're going to have um, the utility instead of us paying to the utility, the utility paying all these different entities as a generator and as and, and being paid, uh, you know, for the ancillary services that they're providing um, to, you know, smooth out demand, smooth out production, um, you know, provide power where it's needed, avoid congestion, um, and avoid their need to curtail other company, other pr producers. They're going to start. You know, I think we're all going to start realizing that um, 
it's more of a two-way flow of power um, generation and and payments. Uh, and I think you know even the payment structure right now, you know, it's you you've seen a few smaller companies, um, you know, experiment with um, payment and you know. Uh, cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Tokenization, um, yeah. Exactly. Tokenization where, you know, power generation and payments are truly free-flowing uh, transactive energy. And I, I think that will be the future. I think electric vehicles, you know, the whole electrification of transportation, it is going to happen. It's going to happen sooner than people think. I'm with Tony Seba on that one for sure, um, and I think that and I think that that should be co-located with with power generation, and and you know the eventually as cars are able to you know right now there's no incentive for automobile manufacturers to put the inverter inside an electric vehicle. But to put an inverter inside an electric vehicle is like three hundred dollars. Whereas if you put an inverter in a in a in a bollard for an electric vehicle charging station, it costs twelve hundred dollars. Well, why do the auto manufacturers not put the inverter in the car? It's because no one's incenting them to do that. People don't want to pay that extra three hundred dollars to be able to do V to G vehicle to grid, you know, sale of their electricity in their car to the grid. They're not getting paid for that right now. But in reality, it's more efficient to put the inverter in the in the car and to allow vehicle to grid charging so that you know eventually the utility will be able to say park your car in this location I'll pay you more to park there because I actually need to firm the power coming out of that particular part of my grid you know that kind of control systems it's all based on software right and that's where digital energy is going to hopefully make this all hang together in a better way so that we can do more predictive analytics in terms of what's demand is going to be what's needed in terms of production and generation and then also to optimize use um and you know it's all comes out of the control systems and the software um back to your question about who do i like um you know, companies like Nuvi, um, which is here in the San Diego area, doing some interesting things, trying to figure out what you what I was just talking about, which is vehicle to grid charging um, and optimization um, on the storage side for the flow batteries. I like the guys ESS up in Portland, Oregon um, there. They have a, a good flow battery technology. I think the guys that are early stage that have investments from um, companies like, you know, the Gates Foundation, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, those kinds of companies that have a good, solid financial backing, have some dry powder for a few years to uh, get through uh, weather the storms that were that are happening right now in the financial markets. Uh, those are the ones that are probably going to survive. Um, they're providing a different um, kind of technology that. Are, are, are is useful for certain kinds of use cases um, and also avoid some of the issues that we have with lithium ion batteries from a fire code protection perspective. You know, we, we still, you know, the, the jury is out in terms of safety, right, on a large scale. Like why, why have some of these larger fires happened with some of these projects? It's still not out in the open, like why that actually happened and how to avoid that in the future. So 
I think, um, you know, some of these flow batteries that, you know, are very benign technologies where stuff can't catch on fire, um, you know, they're, you know, from, from an insurance perspective, you know, both for property casualty insurance and also for hedging, uh, financial hedging for storage, you're going to see perhaps a little more interest in that uh, because it's viewed as safer. Um, so, uh, you know, I, so those are a couple of the names I like. Um, I think anybody who's combining the, the hardware and software in a way to uh, support distributed generation, you know, where it makes sense, right? DG, put the power where you need it. Don't bring it across thousands of acres of dry land with dry trees where you're going to set, you know, states on fire, which is what we've seen here in California in the last few years. That just makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you. That has been a really good combination to a great conversation. Um, one final question we always like to ask is uh, recommendations of books or resources. Uh, in other words, you know, what, what inspires you and informs you uh, day to day? I really... Um, I find that I keep track of um, Bloomberg New Energy Finance's uh, resources quite a bit. They they tend not to be the most aggressive in their predictions. Um, they're not the highest, not the lowest, but they tend to be pretty much right and in the middle of the road. Um, and I also I I keep keep up with uh, Green Tech Media, which is now owned by Wood McKenzie. Um, they, I think, do the best uh, research in terms of investment, whether it's VC or private equity in, um, in distributed uh, energy resources or DERS and storage investments. Uh, like, I think they, they do a great job. So those, those two sources really inform a lot of, uh, I, I keep, I watch, I watch their, um, I watch their you know, uh, reporting because it tends to be, if you look back, um, they've always, they've tended to be right. Um, and I think, you know, uh, investors appreciate that over time and they weren't, didn't make a big, big mistake. So yeah, those two sources are uh, kind of, uh, inspiring to me and, and I keep track of those guys. So. Perfect. Well, this has been Christina Peterson, CEO of Clean Tech Financial Advisory Firm Mayflower Partners. And Christina, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to opine on our digital leadership series, especially around uh, digital energy. Uh, I really appreciate your uh, your focus as an operator and an advisor as an uh, as a financer and and like that practitioner. So, thank you so much for participating. I really appreciate it, Ken. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Thank you so much.